oh. disparities in the. We'd write their Jello. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. He was not expecting that. Talking about Mr. Dad, Matthew. There's a Jello. <laughs> I saw the Jello, and I was trying to avoid it. Oh. It's very lemony. Hello and welcome to Spirits of the Law, a podcast for those who find themselves called to the bar. I am Matthew Naylor and I am joined this week, as always, by the founder of the Sarah Lehman Law Group, Sarah Lehman. Hello, Sarah. Hello. And back with us for a second appearance on Spirits of the Law, Ian Bushfield. Hello, Ian. Hi, Matthew. Thanks for having me back. It's been so long since I've seen you. Uh, hours. Hours, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ian and I recently recorded a very good episode of the Canby Report. I thought it was a really interesting discussion. We had Zoe Ferry on from Majority of BC, and we talked about uh, rental stuff and... Parties in Anmore. Parties in Anmore. Man, that party in Anmore, I didn't get an invite. I was a little sad. It did look fun, though. (laughs) So, this episode, we're going to be drinking... To the bitter's end. Oh, I'm so upset about this. <laughs> when you put it on the whiteboard and suggested it, it sounded good. Like it sounded good. And then today I'm looking at these bottles and I'm just filled with dread. These bottles that say for pharmacy sale only. Yeah. Which inspires confidence. It's very alarming. Hey, the LCBO has this stuff retailing for like 45 bucks. It's 45 bucks too much for sure. All right. But well, I haven't even tried it we'll yet. See. All right, yeah. let's see what happens. Let's, yeah, I feel like there's some prejudice going on here. Okay, but if I'm throwing up in a corner, please don't judge me. <gasps> All right, well, why don't we start off with the Angostura? Which I thought was just something you added to a drink for fun, like maybe a drop or two. But apparently, Matthew, mm-hmm. according to you, it's just a drink. Yeah, you can, in fact, uh, make a drink entirely out of Angostura bitters. Well, that's what's in front of us. Yep. I have done it, uh, but it is a thing that comes all the way from the internet. Okay. Uh, the Angostura Sour, the classic Angostura bitter cocktail. Uh, to make it, you have to take the dropper off the bottle because... It's not supposed to be made. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. what's in here? Can you tell us what's so, in here? So yes. Uh, in a cocktail shaker without ice, combine one and one half ounces Angostura bitters, one half ounce lemon juice, juice, one half ounce lime juice, three quarters of an ounce simple syrup, and one egg white. Shake up hard without ice, this is the dry shake, and then shake again with ice, the wet shake. Then strain into a cocktail glass without ice, then garnish with cherries, but we didn't have those, so. Okay, I haven't even tried this yet, but I can tell you my mouth is already doing that thing where it waters. You know, you oh, yeah, yeah. sick. So that's already happening. I, th- I think we need to describe the consistency and look yeah. of it. It, it kind of looks like a stout that's gone purple. Yeah, it's not. It's not instilling any. Like it's got the here. foamy top on there, and it is and very, very cloudy. Smelly. It's very smelly and cloudy. Yeah, you can smell it across the room. Oh, for sure. The entire it's, office smells like medicine now. It smells like Christmas. It's like that's a very Christmas smells. <laughs> I'm so sorry for your Christmas. Well, actually, um, Christmas. Well, let's be honest. Christmas smelled like Ackerman in my house, but. Well, I guess bottoms up. Cheers. Cheers. It's not as horrible as I thought, but it's still not, not good. It's sweet. Yeah. It is sweet. Tastes like a melted slushy, but with a medicine tone. That's the bark. <laughs> oh, the good. bark That's of the industry tree. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I like how it stays in the mouth. It really stays. I don't know what's happening right now. There's a lot of feelings going through my mouth. It stays because of the uh, fixative power of the eggs. Oh, great. <laughs> that's, that's a line I hoped never to hear. <laughs> I should have made up an exile one day. <laughs> All right, well, this is alarming. <laughs> well, that's not the only thing. No, it's not. <laughs> and to segue into something unsegwayable into from a rather comedic section, the report on missing and murdered Aboriginal women and girls was released earlier this week. In it, there were a number of calls to action for individuals, for society, for educators, 
Stanford Law Societies, uh, and also a declaration that, well, Canada is, uh, has, and continues to commit a genocide against uh, Aboriginal people. Specifically women and girls. Specifically women and girls. Specifically, yes. Yes. I mean, when I saw this come out, I wanted to read all of the recommendations. Unfortunately, I haven't gotten to go through all of them, but there's so many different calls in here from ranging from, you know, training the police to providing a guaranteed fixed income for Indigenous women and girls, or I guess probably not girls, but people of a legal age, um, and all kinds of things in between. You know, some of these ones are actually quite achievable. Others are going to be more, much, much more difficult, um, such as dismantling, you know, stigma, stereotypes, the patriarchy, racial institutions of injustice, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, what were your guys' thoughts about it when it came out? It was entirely predictable that the reaction of mainstream media, the press, so many people was to just fixate on the definition of genocide and get very obsessed about that prior to having even read the 40-page supplementary report that goes through a international law legal analysis of why they use that term, why they feel it's justified, and how they would uphold it, how the inquiry would uphold it if it came to a trial or something like that. And I found that fascinating because that report, which I was actually dug into on my way here, starts by just pointing out that the definition internationally of genocide that was brought up initially purposefully excluded cultural genocide because countries like Canada and colonial states were at those negotiations in the 1940s saying, genocide's clearly bad, but let's make sure we don't implicate ourselves mm -hmm. in this. Yeah, I mean, it's actually quite sad that it what it turned into in terms of how the media dealt with this. I felt like nobody talked about the recommendations or what we could do to improve the situation, which is dire. All people did was wanted to have a, you know, semantic conversation about the definition of genocide. And where does that get us? Well, I mean, you know, Andrew Scheer got to walk out and you're like, I denounce the use of the word genocide because I don't like feeling bad about myself, which is basically what the argument is. It's like, I don't want to feel bad about myself and my country because that would require me looking in the mirror and like seeing the 300 years of structural oppression that we've built up. Maybe, maybe that's what we have to do. It, it is what we have to do, for sure. There's no other way around it. But what makes me angry is that all of these politicians were using it in order to advance their own political platforms and curry favor amongst people they perceive to be their supporters. Right? I mean, we saw Justin Trudeau do the same thing. He came out on day one, wouldn't use the G word, mm -hmm. and then as soon as people were hating him on the internet for it, he came out and all of a sudden it was a genocide. So, well, it was a genocide that had happened. He right. seemed to be a little bit careful about not saying it's continuing because if you're the sitting prime minister of reconciliation, who then admits we're also mass murdering right. the people I'm talking about, it, he's trapped. And it's that's not still to, going. Like that's this, not to say this is the thing way, that is like really important to remember. A huge amount of these cases. If you go to CBC's website and you go and check out uh, the website that they have about this report, they also have a case tracker on missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. And a huge amount of the 300 or so cases that they have tracked happened after 2000. Mm -hmm. Like this is a, an ongoing problem, and it, it's. It's absolutely horrifying, but like, it's it's a little frustrating the recommendations in here because it's like confront and speak out against racism, sexism, ignorance, homophobia, and transphobia, and teach and encourage others to do the same wherever it occurs in your home, your workplace, or in social settings. Like, true, but the way that one fixes society, which is basically what that recommendation is saying, it's like, oh yeah, just be a much better person all of a sudden. Uh, it doesn't really give a very good set of steps in order to get there, and I'm kind of wondering how, like, people can be led from A to B to C instead of being told you have to get all the way to like Z. Yeah, well, I mean, some of the recommendations are much more tangible than others, right? That's true. I mean, That's we true. have some here that I can see, you know, as absolutely necessary to be enacted 
immediately, such as setting up, you know, indigenous oversight committees that are independent and well-funded in order to make sure that, you know, police services and things like that in the community are actually doing the job they're supposed to be doing in a way that's not, I don't know, racist. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's one thing, you know, having more indigenous uh, lawyers, more indigenous judges, that's another thing. Like we have to actually take these steps. And I think often it does start at home with people's attitudes and what people are being exposed to from a very young age. So it's going to be generational. There's going to be a lot of work to be done. But I think that, you know, this was a comprehensive call for justice. Yeah. So some of these things are going to be very difficult to dismantle. Other things are much easier, but we do need to have the funding and we need to have the quite frankly, the politicians on board to actually do things other than just sit around talking about what the definition of genocide is. Yeah, the recommendations for all Canadians, I think is what Matthew is referring to, and those mm -hmm. ones are very broad and vague. Because Decolonize by learning the true history of Canada and Indigenous history in your local area. Learn about and celebrate Indigenous people's history, cultures, pride, diversity, acknowledging the land you live on and it's important to local Indigenous communities both historically and today. I agree that people mm -hmm. should do this and mm -hmm. like... But there, there could be like, you know, thoughts on how one might decolonize oneself, which is like, acknowledge that you are standing on uh, land that was either ceded via a treaty in a manner that the Canadian state did not uphold their end of the bargain, or not ceded at all. Like we are here in Vancouver on the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Mm -hmm. Yes. But then we get into the broader calls, like Sarah was talking about, for the justice system, for governments, and there's where I think the tangible ones are. Mm -hmm. I was rereading a number of the ones on justice before, and it talks about the importance of, I think so many can be summed up as just representation is so important, mm -hmm. like have, and self-government and self-determination. Yes. So having indigenous police forces serve indigenous communities mm -hmm. and funded properly, not mm -hmm. just kind of piecemeal and token amounts, but they need, I forget the exact term, but, you know, equal funding for mm -hmm. equal needs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there just needs to be more dedication towards actually getting these services in place and making sure that they're operating correctly and they can continue to operate rather than, you know, being around for a minute and then maybe losing continuity. Yeah, and I think the big challenge there is going to be durability of funding. Like, mm -hmm. there has to be some kind of mechanism that says, like, this is an obligation that uh, exists within the budget, or there is a separate revenue stream that, that goes towards funding it, rather than, like, it, it is subject to the whims of some government, which means that, like, some, you know, cost-cutting champion can come along and say, well, these marginalized people don't vote anyway, and so you know, fuck this funding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did want to take a moment and like just actually read the specific calls for attorneys and law societies because those ones are, are you know, quite pertinent to our, our little field of uh, consideration here at Spirits of the Law. We call upon the federal, provincial, and territorial governments and Canadian law societies and bar associations for mandatory, intensive, and periodic training of Crown attorneys, defense lawyers, court staff, and all who participate in the criminal justice system in the areas of indigenous cultures and histories, including distinctions-based training. This includes, but is not limited to, the following measures. One, all courtroom officers, staff, judiciary, and employees in the judicial system must take cultural competency training that is designed and led in partnership with local indigenous communities. Two, law societies working with indigenous women, girls, and 2SLGBTQQIA people must establish and enforce cultural competency standards. Three, all courts must have a staff person for an indigenous courtroom liaison worker that is adequately funded and resourced to ensure Indigenous people in the court system know their rights and are connected to appropriate services. I think that's all very reasonable. Yes, what, and, and you know, forgive my ignorance here, what is distinctions-based training? Distinctions-based training? You know, that's a good question. I actually don't have a quick answer to that. Um, but I would assume that it would have to do with, of course, understanding, you know, some kind of intersectional 
um, or the intersectionality of oppressions, uh, I'm assuming, or perhaps it has to do with being able to recognize uh, people's, you know, distinct positions, which I think has to do with intersectionality. Yeah, and maybe the, the, this is like the theory behind Gladu and that kind of thing. Like there is a distinction between the the lived experience and like this social experience of. You know, mind you, we're, we are absolutely just pulling this out of we are. Our, yeah. the air. Fully. So, and that's <laughs> something that we need. Well, I mean, we're lawyers uh, that uh, don't know what this is. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you need the training. <laughs> so we need the training. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Step one in distinctions-based training. What is distinctions-based training? Absolutely. Let's Let find change. out. So basically, we were talking today about like what people could do and what people could read uh, in terms of uh, what the the recommendations are, and I would say first, for people who don't want to read the 1400 page report or the 120 page executive summary, mm -hmm. read the 40 or so page calls for justice, mm -hmm. which is a list of recommendations. It's the to-do list of the report. Uh, and then if you want, Read this supplementary package on why this was a genocide. Yeah. I think there's also more and more other kinds of materials coming out. I know Pam Palmatter is starting to release some videos and discussions about each of the sections of the report. And there's a podcast series um, that came out with the report where they go into it five different communities and talk to indigenous women and girls and people in those communities to get their voices. Mm -hmm. And so there's lots of different ways to engage in this that don't necessarily mean reading a very heavy yeah, document. For sure. Which is an important document. But. Yes, but not everybody's up for that. But like, I, I think what is really important is that people like continue to pay attention uh, because like, well, the media was always going to be like, no, we're not genociding people right now. Uh, on the very day that the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls uh, report came out, there was a human trafficking case that opened in Saskatchewan that uh, talks about people from Canada that are being, like, trafficked uh, for the purposes of sexual slavery uh, and the most marginalized people are always going to be the people who are targeted by human traffickers uh, similarly uh, yeah but how do how do we stop that the answer is that we also need to legalize sex work because if we make sex work legal we allow people to better identify report and deal with instances of human trafficking where people are being held against their will and being forced to perform sexual services which is never okay and always highly highly illegal but sex work in its current form that we have criminalized still in canada uh in my view anyways is completely contrary to achieving any type of equality or advancing the place for women and girls in this country particularly indigenous women and girls who sometimes engage in sex work and there's no judgment there sex work is work there well you said. go that's my pitch so we should do it we gotta we gotta legalize yes Making it illegal is not stopping it. No. No, we learned that prohibition doesn't work. And it doesn't people... work. It doesn't work anywhere. And speaking of prohibition, I feel like we're in prohibition era right now, drinking our pharmacy brand cough syrup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not like uh, Jägermeister decent cough syrup. But like... Yeah, no, this is like straight up like underground stuff. <laughs> And Matthew, what you're pouring right now doesn't look any better. So this is drink number two. I'm Matthew, terrified. Matthew, name this drink for the podcast. This uh, is the <laughs> <laughs> classic, classic beverage, Unicum Zwack. Horrible, 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 horrible name. I hate it. I hate the bottle. It's it's so round. It's so round. It's gross. The name is gross, the bottle is gross. <laughs> what you're pouring out of the bottle also looks gross. Like, it looks like Jaeger, but more viscous. Oh no, it's definitely less viscous than, than Jaeger. It like, smells like medicine. So yeah, the, it's digestive bitters. The Angostura, Angostura? Angostura, yes. Was uh, from a Prussian army surgeon. That's where that came from. Oh good, okay, so this was used in medical procedures yeah. and now the we're drinking it. Unicum comes from Hungary. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. As um, all Unicum 
does. <laughs> and the final drink we'll get to comes from Croatia, so it's oh. just a tour of Eastern Europe. Wowzas. Well, this is scary. I'm scared. I'm personally scared. This. Now, the best way, at least in my opinion, to enjoy Unicum's whack <laughs> is mixed into a Sprite Slurpee. Oh, Matthew Naylor, you really are a man of the world. <laughs> so here we are. Let's enjoy it. What, what's it mixed into today? It's not a Sprite Slurpee, though. It's not a Sprite Slurpee because you can't find a fucking Sprite Slurpee in downtown Vancouver. I arrived, like, 30 minutes late for, for like, the late start to the podcast recording, and I was drenched in sweat because I'd been running around this fucking city trying to find a fucking Sprite Slurpee, and it's nowhere. Nowhere. So what is this, then? What is this? This our... is... Uh, a bubble tea slash lemon slush from Happy Lemon. Okay, well, I mean, I'm scared. So will a Happy go. Lemon and Unicum's Whack make a Happy Lemon? Probably not. No, I don't think so. <laughs> oh! No! <laughs> you think it might be okay for a minute, but then it really just gets back there. It's not good. I like it. You like it? I really like it. You're a depraved animal. How can you drink this? I will drink anything, and this is bad. I'm gonna try again, though. <laughs> I really like like the the bitter like. Oh, still bad. It's that extended aftertaste. It's it. Oh yeah, the extended aftertaste is bad, 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 bad. It's a nice sour hit at the beginning, and then fading into like the bitter, like a bitter aftertaste. It's not medicinal. It's more like again bark. Just sort of like a, a kind of apothecary's mash. Could you imagine getting drunk off this? Oh, you what, probably what do you have. Mean, what do you mean, <laughs> probably have. What do you mean imagine? What happens? Like, do you? Just oh, drink it's a fine. Tree it's lovely. After? It's like, lovely. What, what? It's lovely. You, no, no. I just, I just relax. My digestion is great. Uh, <laughs> this is a lot. It's yeah. a lot that I didn't foresee from this question. <laughs> I, I lay down in the hammock. I listen to the audiobook on like the declining state of democracy in Hungary, and I, I bemoan the homeland of Unicum's whack. Wow, that's an evening. It's quite the drink. It's quite the drink. It's quite the man. It's quite the night. <laughs> I feel like I'm still chewing on it. <laughs> 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 Oh my goodness. Well, I have saved the sweetest one for last, so. Oh, goody. Looking forward to that. Well, what What isn't sweet? Let's do Let's let's do a little ICBC stuff. Oh yeah, ICBC's not sweet. Yeah, in fact, uh, it might leave you feeling rather sour, rather bitter after new changes came into force on Monday. Mhm, mm that's right. So, New changes to the optional insurance program at ICBC uh, basically change how ICBC will be assessing your insurance. For 75% of people, it will go down. But if you have two tickets to your name, or one distracted driving, uh, impaired driving, or excessive speeding ticket, mm -hmm. your rates are going to shoot right up, which mm -hmm. makes it very important that you contest your tickets. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so they define serious convictions as um, criminal code offenses, obviously. Impaired driving, which I think is probably really widely going to be defined as anything from an actual criminal code impaired driving offense to an administrative prohibition to a 24 hour, I think that could be captured under this. And then of course drug impaired driving as well, because we have now a scheme for um, disputing mm -hmm. drug impaired driving tickets and all the rest of that plus excessive speeding and distracted driving, which are those cell phone tickets that people get. Minor convictions is everything else, it appears, including seatbelt tickets, which have no points. Seatbelt tickets actually have no No, 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 yeah, like it's no points to, for a seatbelt ticket, like... Like passengers in your vehicle type thing. Like if you're a passenger in a vehicle and you get a seatbelt ticket, does that mean if you go and try to get insurance, it's going to be sky high? You need two tickets, but yeah. Basically. Yeah, like, I mean, that's... One speeding ticket and one speed seatbelt ticket. By the way, uh, two charges on one ticket is two tickets. I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is crazy. And it's over the course of three years, apparently. They look back at a three-year driving record. So if you get, really, any two tickets in three years, which I think most people in this province probably do, at least 
that's what I can figure out from my practice here as a lawyer. But <laughs> I say you have a very specific sample of people you yeah. come across. Yeah, it's really common. And I also find that once a person gets one ticket, all the other tickets start rolling in. Mm. And you just are more likely to be ticketed again and again for whatever reason. It's totally not because police are like running... You know, plates and then checking and it's then totally not that reason i'm sure no well i'm talking about the last section we know some people are targeted by police more than others based right on some a number people, of identifiable yeah. traits including <laughs> their skin color and right. you don't say yeah, See, and the, yeah. Okay, this is actually a really interesting point because like how does society discriminate against for example indigenous people mm -hmm. uh it's like one one act of malice uh that results in a seatbelt ticket or a, you know a cell phone ticket that someone who was white wasn't going to get mm -hmm. can ripple out and cause these like massive hikes in insurance or mm -hmm. cause someone to lose their license which might mm -hmm. cause them to be driving while prohibited which mm -hmm. is going to put them in the justice system and not able to access a lawyer because they don't have enough money because they're, they're unemployable they're unemployable and then they end up in jail yeah so like I mean yeah holy shit so that's I mean that's actually a really great example of how like a tiny little thing can have huge ramifications for people and we see it all the time in this office when clients come in and they don't realize like you know the consequences of a ticket beyond just paying the fine and the next thing you know as Matthew pointed out yeah. they have no driver's license they don't have a job they don't have any income their housing situation becomes precarious I mean it's yeah, it's we've, a big problem. We've had clients who like didn't realize that they were pleading guilty when they were paying their ticket. Mm -hmm. And like that you are. You are pleading guilty to an offense when you pay your ticket. It's not just an administrative penalty. Like it's a provincial like motor vehicle act offense. Mm -hmm. Yep. So the point is, if you do get a ticket, you should call a lawyer. Mm-hmm. To properly dispute it. Specifically, the lawyers of the Sarah Lehman Law Group at <laughs> 900-9211. That's 604-900-9211. We're always here and happy to help. Yes. You know who, uh, who's going to need quite a bit of help in the next campaign? Jody Wilson-Raybould, the independent MP from Vancouver Granville. I thought that you were going to say my good friend Justin Trudeau, but you really uh, threw me a curveball there. <laughs> Could be both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For different reasons, I think. Yeah, help all around. So, so I think Jody Wilson-Raybould's got a slightly easier time than Jane Philpott, just politically based on mm -hmm. the local riding conditions. But independents face a massive uphill climb, no matter where they run in Canada traditionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so Jody Wilson-Raybould uh, was the subject of the first ever episode and remaining most popular episode of Spirits of the Law. So we've decided to revisit the topic for no reason. Uh, <laughs> not at all because we want those sweet, sweet downloads. Uh, <laughs> but basically, we wanted to look back and see how this scandal has unfolded because we did this like fairly soon after the SNC-Lavalin scandal broke. We sipped some lovely scotch uh, and we kind of debated what this was going to mean and whether any laws were broken. The the scandal seems to have grayed itself out. Yeah, it kind of just went away, right? Well, <laughs> once she was kicked out of caucus, it kind of went, well, she's got no more ability to throw dirt at the liberals and they've... Swept it under the rug. Yeah. Well, and I think that, like, her throwing bombs from inside caucus was quite possibly her biggest strategic mistake mm -hmm. because she she had the institutional support of the liberal party behind her and all she had to do was not piss off her colleagues mm -hmm. to the extent that they wanted her gone but they're like she is damaging uh, you know, the, the other MPs in the Vancouver region were, were thinking, like, what, what is she doing? She's damaging our hopes at re-election uh, for basically her own... Principles? Principles, I guess? <laughs> I, I don't know. She seems like someone who wanted to find a hill and die on it, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's such an unpopular opinion to air because of the fact that it is... You know, a First Nations woman here who's speaking her truth, and we want that to tie back into the, you know, murdered and missing Indigenous women's inquiry report and all that other stuff. But 
at a certain point, it doesn't actually give you, you know, complete amnesty, I don't think. I think that we can still be critical of things that um, people who identify as First Nations or as women say. I mean, I think it would be great if as a woman I could say whatever the heck I wanted and nobody could challenge me on it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I do think that uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould made some mistakes in terms of her strategic plan. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens now as an independent. Both her strategic plan, like, as a politician and her strategic plan, like, as a attorney general. Because, yeah. like, I want to take a look at, at the mandate letter that uh, Justin Trudeau wrote for her at the beginning. And so she, she was assigned a couple of tasks. Uh, lead a process to work with provinces and territories to respond to the Supreme Court of Canada decision regarding physician-assisted death. Oh, Sarah, I'm... I know. I just keep sipping it because it's in front of me, but it's right? so gross. I keep thinking, should I go back to the first one? I'm like... Uh, I, don't, I don't know what to do. It's going to be a fun picking favorite day. It's it going to be really, really fun. Yeah. But on. But anyways, I'm not assisted death. <laughs> Speaking, of <laughs> Speaking of things that didn't go down easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like... I will give her like a B plus, I suppose, on that one. Yeah, but you're not okay with the assisted death stuff, so I don't no, think not. that you get to be an impartial arbitrator of <laughs> ranking the. No one here. is impartial in anything. <laughs> That's a good point. Hey, judges are, and you know it. <laughs> no, 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 they they put aside their feelings and and you know simply apply the objective tests before them as impartially. Uh, they act impartially. They not. They aren't impartial themselves, they're people. The thing with the assisted death file put on her desk is the Supreme Court of Canada had basically handed her the solution, what the, the solution, yeah. what the law needs to be. Yeah. And so you have groups like BC Civil Liberties and Dying with Dignity Canada saying, even if you don't bring in a law, it'll be kind of like our abortion regime where it's been defined by the courts mm -hmm. and the medical professional will go with that fine, let's have a law that says you need two doctors mm -hmm. independent of each other do that. And that's all good. That was straightforward. But then somewhere along the path, she comes up with this idea like, let's insert this natural death is reasonably foreseeable clause. And everyone went, where did that come from? And what does that mean? And now BCCLA and others are back in court to find out. Yeah. Well, I mean, natural death is always reasonably foreseeable, I think. <laughs> and I think it actually depends now on what doctor you find as to yeah. how reasonably foreseeable your death is, if yeah. you want it. absolutely. I think they can make it as foreseeable as you want it to be. Which <laughs> creates, which is good for some people who want that right and that choice, but becomes difficult if you aren't able to find that doctor Correct. in your area. So, so it, marginalized create, communities and, and marginalized remote. people, yeah, will have a harder time. All right, is this a death? Check mark, I guess. Maybe. Or not. Send she managed to put a bill forward. It's there. It got through the Senate with some shenanigans. Not the worst, not the best. All right, who's up next there? Developing collaboration with the Minister of Indigenous and Northern Affairs and supported by the Minister of Status of Women, an approach to and mandate for an inquiry into mur uh, murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls in Canada, including the identification of a lead minister. Well, check mark on that report. It's out, but uh, Jody's also out. So yeah, well, and the start. Also, of it was so bad. The start, like there were people mm -hmm. who wanted the thing shut down. Oh yeah, including the people who were starting it. Yeah. Yes. The whole. I think there were multiple senior resignations from that inquiry in the yeah. first year. Yeah. It finished well. It seems like, but yes. it was such a rocky start. For sure. Review. Our, they were even still oh. calling for additional time and additional money to keep investigating this but yeah. I guess it does need to finish eventually but yeah partial check uh, yeah like my, my suspicion is that there was uh, one of the problems with the beginning of that report was the like actual from what I have heard Miss Wilson Raybould was not the easiest person to work with uh, mm -hmm. in the government but that of course comes from many people that I know in the Liberal Party who might have a somewhat slanted view of things now. <laughs> Next thing, review our litigation strategy. Sure, I guess. Whatever. I'm sure she did it. I mean, yeah. if you're attorney general and you don't do that. Yeah, that seems like a major misstep. 
you should conduct a review of the changes in our criminal justice system and sentencing reforms over the past decade with a mandate to assess the changes, ensuring that we are increasing the safety of our communities, get value for money, addressing gaps, and ensuring the current provisions are aligned with the objectives of the criminal justice system. Uh, outcomes of this process should include the increased uh, use of restorative justice processes and other initiatives to reduce the rate of incarceration among Indigenous Canadians, and implementation of recommendations from the inquest into the death of Ashley Smith regarding the restriction of the use of solitary confinement and the treatment of those with mental illness. F? Yeah, definite <laughs> F. Considering the government is still dragging its heels on solitary confinement, has brought in a new bill, but it's been heavily criticized and... Also, where's our, like, omnibus bill to repair all of criminal justice, like, minority... Uh, or rather the mandatory minimum census. Well, they left that out of the omnibus bill to reform the criminal justice system that they did create, which the, the, was... The, the, sorry, the, trust, Justin Trudeau doesn't have omnibus bills. He told us that. Oh, right, that's right. They oh, just have very big I'm ones sorry. that cover a lot of ground. Right. Multi-bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that. Different kind of bus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Bill C-75 is horrible, and I actually went out and spoke to the House of Commons about that bill, and one of the things I spoke about was um, the need to, of course, preserve the ability for preliminary inquiries. Um, there's so many different ways that they could have gone about um, actually reforming the criminal justice system in a meaningful way, but instead they just made all these shortcuts that make no sense and will ultimately contribute to delay, in my view. So F. Address gaps in services to Aboriginal people and those with mental illness throughout the criminal justice system. Well, as we know, the criminal justice system has been completely fixed and Aboriginal people are a fully included and welcoming part of society. Oh, wait. F. Next. <laughs> and to play a little defense for these are deep systemic issues that are simple tasks. They're not simple tasks. And I get the sense there was some, some effort to start to look at them, but it was piecemeal, seemed to make a lot of mistakes, talked a lot about the Charter, but seemed to ignore it at key other important times. Yeah, and just seemed to misinterpret what the Charter even meant in many other times, but that's I mean, they're opinion. the Liberals, they invented it, yeah. so it's, <laughs> they can't get it wrong. <laughs> Work with the Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Preparedness and Health, uh, ministers, presumably, uh, create a federal provincial territorial process that will lead to the legalization and regulation of marijuana. Oh, that's it an F. F, major F on that one. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, is there something D lower minus? than the F? D, mm, really? Okay. F plus? Oh, no, F, F minus. F minus, yeah. Maybe even an E. E for error. It was very bad. Complete. Yeah, complete. And if you want to, to listen to more on that, you can check out our episode uh, with Andrew Forschner a couple weeks ago on uh, herbs and other natural botanicals. Yeah, for sure, and something that we'll talk about a lot more in the future as well, because there are so many problems with how our government decided to quote-unquote legalize cannabis. I mean, it really is Prohibition 2.0. There's lots of, you know, cannabis users like to term it out there in the community, but they're absolutely right about it. So oh, we might get edibles by Christmas. We might get edibles by Christmas, right? But they're only going to be like 10 milligrams of THC, I believe, in a package, and there's going to be all kinds of restrictions, and you can't what? add colors. 10 milligrams in a package? No, a package, not even per candy, but in a package. Um, this, is, this is what, what? I've been hearing. Supposed to be an announcement today on this, so we'll know more. So it's just going to be silly. It's going to be really silly, I think. And it's not going to eradicate the black market. I mean, the, the stuff that was on the table at the weeds store that recently was shut down by the city of Vancouver in, like, frankly, a perfectly reasonable application of their zoning laws. But, you know, can't just open a store without getting a permit. Uh, they, uh, they were like 50 to 75 milligrams per package. For and sure. It, yeah. For sure. There's lots of stuff out there that's even more than that for medical users. Um, who are the people who usually use edibles or people who are looking to treat chronic pain problems, going through chemotherapy, et cetera, et cetera. So also, can cancer survivors need like 200 milligrams on a regular, like multiple times a day. It's like a heavy, heavy dose of uh, CBD and THC in, yeah. in a package. So Correct. So, I mean, they're missing the mark there. Black market's going to be thriving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Undertake modernization efforts to improve the efficiency and effectiveness of the criminal justice system. Do you still have to use a lot of facts in your practice? Of course, it's all yeah. facts. Yeah. Then fail. Fail. <laughs> 
Support the Minister of Canadian Heritage to restore modern court challenges program. I have no idea what that even is, so... Court Challenges is actually a really cool program that used to exist and was killed by the Harper regime. Oh. Uh, that, that, like, allowed Canadians to come forward and, and, like, get government funding to challenge government legislation on the basis of it being unconstitutional. Oh. Uh, it was like a, a, like, two things. One, there was, like, a law reform commission a while ago. Yeah. And that got Can killed. Can we have that, please? Uh, so that was side one of things and then there was like an afterthought like there's a pro you know proactive and then a, a reactive mm. uh, way to challenge legislation so the court challenges program has been reinstated and is operating and implemented out of the University of Ottawa mm. uh, independent from government funding is made by independent expert panels I have no clue how successful it's been it clearly hasn't made much news yeah I had no idea about it it was a really cool program. I remember hearing when it got killed, and I was like, shaking fist. All right. B. So it's back. Yeah, so this is a good one, I guess. Yep. B, Probably. B plus? Yeah. yeah. All right. It's back. Work with the Ministers of Finance and National Revenue to develop a modernized regulatory and legal framework for governing the charitable and not-for-profit sectors. They did update the charities law after mm -hmm. they lost a very significant court case on... Uh, the free speech and political activities of charities. Oh, yeah. So, technically passed, but it was kind of a force by the courts, and they initially announced that they were going to appeal that Ontario ruling oh, until okay. they went. So we're going. Maybe we're, we'll not appeal it, and we'll just. I was going to go say C, but I'm going to say D at that and point. Then <laughs> this was only last year. Oh man. Okay. And that's all the reform to charities. There hasn't been a deeper look at the fact that our charities are still based off of... The Statute uh, of Elizabeth of yep. 1548. Uh, mm. I really like charities law for some 18, reason, but it's... Uh, 60s? 1890s? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I work in a non-profit, and so I know charities law just as a there side quirk. Perfect. So, there I mean, four what, what, what do you think? What's, what's the grade? D seems good, maybe D? a C. All right. They could have been worse, but they definitely dragged their heels. Yeah. <laughs> Engage all parties in the House of Commons to ensure that the process of appointing Supreme Court justices is transparent, inclusive, and accountable to Canadians. Consultations should be undertaken with all relevant stakeholders, and those appointed to the Supreme Court should be functionally bilingual. So they're bilingual. There's yeah. a new program. I don't know how consultative and the, uh, how much it meets those other ones. Those are wishy-washy terms. Mm -hmm. The new they're, justices seem good. And you can go and read their applications, which is cool. Yeah. I've done, I, like, when Roe was appointed, I went and read his application, and he seemed like a judge. Yeah. There you go. So, I guess maybe we'll give this one a B. Yeah. yeah. Must be nice, for once. I, I'd even, I, like, yeah. Hey, this government hasn't picked fights with chief justices yet, so A for that. An a for that. <laughs> we had, the bar got set very low on justice files in the last <laughs> decade. <laughs> Support the Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Preparedness in his efforts to repeal key elements of C-51 and introduce new legislation that strengthens accountability with respect to national security and better balances collective security with rights and freedoms. Mm. F. The bill that purports to do that, I think, is still sitting on the order paper? Yeah, that's what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't even do that. No. It kind of does it. But the government found that it had a bunch of new powers, and governments love powers. Of course. Yeah. Again, support the BC Civil Liberties Association. <laughs> I'm a board member, I have to say that. Also, they do good work. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff. Uh, support the Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Preparedness in his efforts to repeal the uh, key elements of Bill C-42, uh, which is, I believe, the Straight Safe Streets and Communities Act, mm -hmm. and implement our commitment to reduce the number of handguns and assault weapons on our streets. I don't know that anything was done on this at all. They started talking about guns in the last year, Mm. Or two. I've seen some buzz in the media about guns. But, like, she had since 2015 to do this. Like, well, I think the most telling thing about the justice file, and whether it's under Jody Wilson-Raybould or under the Trudeau administration more broadly, is the fact a bill that shouldn't have been controversial, C-51, this new one, not the anti-terrorism one, Right, the, the zombie law repeal. The zombie law mm -hmm. repeal. Mm -hmm. I followed that mm -hmm. closely because in my work with the Human Association, we wanted to see the blasphemy law gone. 
And I really want to pretend to practice witchcraft, goddammit! And now we can have duels, but, or threaten each other to <laughs> duels. But that took so long to move through the House and the Senate, because they added in a bunch of controversial provisions about sexual assault and disclosure by defense counsel, which, why would you piss off defense lawyers when you're just trying to get through a zombie law repeal that no one really had a big deal about. That's another one I went to the House of Commons for and uh, got to sternly tell the MPs that they were really not doing the proper thing here. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it fell upon deaf ears. So. F. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> implement our platform commitments to toughen criminal laws and bail conditions in cases of domestic assault. Okay, yeah. I mean, I'm not, like, super cool with this one as a defense lawyer. Um, you know, sometimes people get in very bad situations. Um, you know, matters of the heart are not always logical, and it can be quite a cycle. Not just a violence for those who are being uh, targeted by domestic assault, which is, of course, completely unacceptable and needs to be addressed and dealt with, um, but also for those who are in abusive relationships and it keeps going back and forth. So it's difficult. I also don't like how they consistently, even as a feminist, and we know that women, of course, are more prone to experiencing domestic violence, um, but I don't like the fact that we don't use gender-inclusive language for these kinds of things. In particular, since uh, domestic abuse is a particular problem in the gay community. Absolutely. And it's not talked about enough. Nope. And I think it needs to be talked about much more. And we also need to be having um, trans people and queer mm. folk involved in these kinds of discussions. And I just don't like it when I see it being chalked up as a purely women are the victim issue. Mm -hmm. I think the missing murdered Indigenous women and girls inquiry did that much better. They did a very good job Include, of it. Including, you know, they brought in the yes. mouthful acronym, but to yes. SLG. Everybody's in there. Yeah. Everybody's in there, even questioning, which yeah. is pretty, yeah. pretty crazy to think about. But and they're asexuals all there. who always get forgotten about. But asexuals are always in some of the recommendations, it talked about similar kinds of things on sentencing. And those, I think, were some of the more controversial, even among mm -hmm. some Indigenous communities, where on the one hand, it talks about reducing incarceration rates, reducing mandatory minimums, but on the other, it's like, we do need additional sentencing provisions in some cases. And there is one bill that I think is just going through the Senate right now or just got passed that touches some of these. But again, they're controversial and... Yeah, I'm never they, comfortable... They're worth, worth nuance. Yeah, and I'm not comfortable with um, codifying uh, basically the things we're already doing in court. You know, like yeah. sentencing and bail particularly are highly individualized aspects of our criminal justice system. I think it's important to allow judges to have the discretion to do what's right in those circumstances and not create a bunch of laws from, you know, Ottawa that are going to govern what happens in our courtrooms here in Vancouver or anywhere else in the country. So it needs to continue to be open to the court and based on case law and sentencing principles. Well, okay, so I'm maybe just going to defer the actual grade on that one because maybe we didn't like the concept in general. Uh, so yeah. whether or not she, she did it or not, uh, kind of gray, gray. Slush. Yeah, and I'm not even sure she did it. No, I don't I'm think not sure she did it either. I don't think she yeah. did it. I don't think she accomplished that much. I'm just going to say it, it's unpopular opinion, but Jody Wilson-Raybould was not a great attorney general. She's a... Yeah. So I have that opinion, but I also respected her decision to sort of push back on what she alleges as political interference. Mm -hmm. And there were definitely mistakes in her strategy, as I think we talked about, and the weird taped phone call. That it's was just, bad. That was bad. It's, it's like you shouldn't have I just done think that. It's weird. <laughs> it could have resulted in a law society complaint. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like yeah. really though. Like if yeah. she if she if, if what if you taped a client and then played it later when you had uh, broken up with the client, like that's a law society complaint. Yeah, that's not cool. Not good to do. It's also not good if you're the chief public servant to like be caught out lying. I mean... And to, if you're the chief public servant, to be caught out acting in arguably partisan manners. Yeah. I, I'm saying, so. like, you know, fault on all sides, sure. but uh, <laughs> she was the government's lawyer. Like, it, it is, it's, it's insane. I, yeah. <laughs> Work with the president of the Treasury Board to enhance the openness of government. 
That sounds boring. <laughs> That's one of those Including big supporting ones. his review of the Access to Information Act. Oh, fail. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's more of a Bryson fail than a Wilson-Raybould fail. That's a Trudeau administration fail across yeah. the board to not touch access to information. Introduce government... It, it turns out when you're government, not telling people what you're doing is valuable. Yeah. Who would have thought? It's nice to have secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Introduce government legislation to add gender identity as a prohibited ground for discrimination under the Canadian Human Rights Act. Pass. Yeah, pass. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, uh, I, of course, know this is true because a couple of people on my Facebook are like oh. Jordan Peterson assholes. So, like, you know. We can't blame her for that, I don't no, think. He, no. he just decided that was the one conspiracy to start going up on because of course gender identity and expression had been added to multiple provinces human rights commission codes without mm -hmm. people being dragged away to the gulags mm -hmm. yeah i think bc was actually one of the last to do it although yes. uh, gender identity had been added in a common law form in terms of having uh sexual orientation and gender mm -hmm. the the courts had yeah. read it in to yeah. those terms At any rate, uh, <laughs> overall grade on the Wilson-Raybould tenure, pretty much an F, I think, for yeah, me. Yeah, it's not great. No. I'd give her a C or a D, because I don't think she made a lot of things significantly worse. The cannabis, would you say it's worse now than it was before? <laughs> I mean, the thing about the cannabis stuff is that, yes, they made it legal, but at what cost, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I don't like the way that they did it. What we're seeing is that they basically tried to create a new uh, revenue stream for big business and put a lot of people in charge who really shouldn't be. They also created a lot of regulations and laws around it that make absolutely no sense <laughs> and demonstrate a fundamental misunderstanding of cannabis as a substance, period. That's just my opinion. What's up next for drinks, guys? <laughs> well, our last drink before we move on to our, our visit with our old friend uh, and toilet. sign that we can <laughs> see. It's the toilet. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, sign that we can see from our offices, the SMC Lavinland building at uh, 700 Thurlow. This is, of course, Maraska. Polinkovat. Do you have like a mix for this, or are we drinking this straight? This is just going to be straight. That's disgusting. Just a it's shot each worse. or something? Yeah, okay. just a shot each. Well, I'm combining shot. my two... Yeah. <laughs> that was a horrible noise. That was not me throwing up in a corner. <laughs> it was the jello. That was the odd jello from your lemon drink. There's no Sprite! It's so much better with Sprite. Mm. It's so much better with Sprite. I don't believe you. Maybe less of the alcohol, like 100% less. 100% less alcohol, yeah. but just, just sprayed. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm, I definitely don't need a full shot of this. I can tell you already. But. Yeah. It's much sweeter. Okay. So okay. what is this one for the uh, folks at home? This one's only 28% alcohol by volume. Okay. And uh, it contains vodka. I think it's in Czech. Counterfeit vodka? <laughs> no, I think the label is in Czech. Yeah, vodka, <laughs> alcohol, secker. Pajilo. I think that's <laughs> if vodka. If you spin it around, sugar. there's actually English and French ingredients on the back. Oh, yeah. It's required by our federal yeah. laws. <laughs> <laughs> Water, alcohol, sugar, infusions of bitter herbs, natural flavors. Well, that's very vague. <laughs> yep. Okay, well, let's give it a go, I guess. It's a product of Maraska Didi Zadar. And it's called. Helen Kovat. <laughs> All right, well. Cheers. I guess. No. <laughs> oh no, this is bad. Ooh, it's almost hot at the end. It's almost hot. <laughs> it turns into like a hot orange. Yeah, but not a good one, like a rotten one. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely has been in the dumpster for a while. I'm so disappointed in you guys. Like, this is gross, Matthew. <laughs> you fed us things you found at London Drugs in like the back aisle. <laughs> yeah, but... 
Like, I'm from Fort McMurray, <laughs> and I'm telling you that this alcohol selection is gross. Well, that should tell you a thing or two. Like, they don't even have the good burn of it, like, straight vodka or alcohol. Right. Well, that's because you haven't drank the Unicum straight. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You haven't gotten zwacked, as it were. Uh, uh. <laughs> I mean, this is a horrifying selection. <laughs> You're never picking the alcohol again. It's over. <laughs> no, I only let the guests pick the alcohol. <laughs> this was my choice. No, definitely not. <laughs> Eden was trying to blame me earlier, and I was like, nope, this was not me either. I, I mean, you did, you did write approved on the uh, suggestion. <laughs> because I thought that we were going to have like some nice, like, you know, bitters as a, as a complementary sure. ingredient into the drink. No, some no, we're a gustatory stuff. adventure, uh, and... A uh, bit of a failure of a cocktail night, I suppose, but I like them, and if you like strong flavors, I do encourage you to check out the Angostura Sour. I'm going to leave here sober for the first time ever. <sighs> yeah. For <Fourth> shame. <laughs> <laughs> that last one's still attacking my tongue. Me too. <laughs> it's horrifying. SNC Lavalin. They've got a new CEO. They've shaken up the situation, and uh, seems like they are still going to be facing prosecution. Yeah, that really didn't go away for them, did it? No. No. So, uh, their CEO, who had spent the last four years cleaning up the company, ostensibly, uh, the one who isn't in jail, the former CEO who's not in jail, there are some former CEOs of SNC-Lavalin that are in jail, uh, they uh, have departed the company, and uh, a new guy, Neil Bruce, uh, or rather the old guy, Neil Bruce, uh, has said that the succession process began last year. However, uh, his family moved back to the United Kingdom, and he wanted to join them, and so he departed rather quickly after, oh. of course, a 61% plunge in share price. <laughs> that does not sound fishy at all. No. No. I feel a little bad for the guy because, like, from what I, I have read about him, like, he did come in to a, a company that had already, like, the misdeeds had already been found out. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, it's a poison chalice. I don't know who would ever accept this position. Well, the answer to that is interim uh, CEO Ian Edwards. What a brave man. Yep. He's going to conduct a strategic review. Uh, and the Canadian construction company is going to be uh, hoping that the 61% shares or the slumping 6% six, six uh, of investors that... Basically, uh, the departure caused another 6% slide in price. So uh, that would be a grand total of uh, 67%, which is basically the whole company, really. Not great. No. One of the ways out of all the controversy a few months ago and all the scandals I'd heard was, well, the government could just take over SNC and clean it up from inside and deal with it itself. What I'm realizing now is that gets cheaper every day and easier. Yeah. That's a good Mind point. you, there's going to be lots of lost Quebecois jobs in the meantime, which mm -hmm. was what this was all about stopping in the first place. Yeah, ironically so, right? It's kind of come full circle. Well, Justin Trudeau has always been very consistent on one thing and one thing only, and that is that he was a big adherent to his father's political philosophy, which involved making Quebec feel very welcome in Canada. Uh, and that involved, apparently, uh, some like creation of these big success stories in Quebec, Bombardier, SNC-Lavalin, uh, or Bombardier and SNC-Lavalin, since we're in Vancouver. <laughs> uh, and hopefully, uh, well, there's, hopefully there's like hope on the horizon, but of course uh, that hope might just be the flare from a gas well in Saudi Arabia, because there have been trade challenges that have been uh, fomenting themselves uh, in that Gulf monarchy. So, uh, SNC-Lavalin, not out of the woods quite yet. Definitely not. Dark days. Dark days. Much like Prohibition. Uh, 
Which I think we just experienced a little bit of yeah. this evening. A period when the U.S. government poisoned liquor and, of course, the construction of California homes was in, uh, suggested to have something called the wine brick. The wine brick. I would kill for a wine brick right now. Yeah, we could just lick it and it would taste better yeah. than this. <laughs> What's a wine brick, Matthew? So the wine brick is a... Uh, <laughs> it was basically a way that the U.S. wine industry saved itself during Prohibition. Now, when it went into effect, the people who owned vineyards uh, for the sole purpose of turning those grapes into wine faced a bit of a, a dilemma. Tear up the vines and plant something else or try to find a way and make a profit. Uh, so what they did was they started producing wine bricks. Uh, now the US law stipulated that the grapes could only be grown uh, if used for non-alcoholic consumption. It was determined that someone instead used those grapes to make booze. The vineyard owner who sold the individual the grapes was aware of this. Both the grape grower and winemaker could find themselves in jail. However, if the grape grower gave clear warning that the grapes were not to be used for the creation of alcohol and those grapes passed through enough hands that even the end result was wine, the grape grower did not know the bootlegger's intentions and so the grower could be in the clear. Therefore, a wine brick was basically concentrated grape juice, which was completely illegal to produce, uh, which consumers could dissolve in water and ferment in order to make their own wine. Now, not every consumer knew how to make wine. Now, the instructions, however, were printed on the packaging with a very clear, do not do this. Amazing. <laughs> yep. Just like when you buy fertilizer, it tells you how to not make it into a bomb. Right. <laughs> I haven't bought fertilizer in a while, but that's pretty amazing it right doesn't. there. Oh, no. it oh. oh. <laughs> just because I grew up on a farm doesn't mean I can be authoritative on these things. I believe wow. you. I was like, oh, okay, well, I mean, these are certain things you want to do to not blow yourself up. Yeah. I don't buy fertilizer, guys. Fair. That's fair. That's fair. It's not a thing I do. You're loopy from all the... I'm loopy now. I think I'm medicated. It's over. Yeah. So... All right. Well, What's we've reached the, the bitter end. What is what? What is the verdict? The Angostura sour, the uh, <laughs> Unicum's whack lemon slush, or a shot of Palenkovat, Maraska. I'm gonna put them in the exact order you just named them. The Angostura Sour was the only thing I could drink more than one sip of <laughs> and not feel gross. The only reason I'm gonna pick the Angostura Sour is because the bottle is less offensive than the other bottles. And you can use that effectively to, in a tiny amount, a yes. couple drops like you're supposed to, to add some bitters to any other cocktail. Yeah, so this I think is worth the investment in the bar. If you have, you know, some things at home to make cocktails, this would and, be good. And you can in fact use Unicum in the same way that no you do No one is it. using Unicum. Okay, no one. I decree it. It's disgusting. The name is gross. The bottle is worse somehow. It's, it's literally the grossest. This other one looks like cooking oil. Like it just does. Like that bottle looks like cooking oil. Well, it's like a large wine bottle. But then the picture on it is very traditional Eastern European woman with a like shawl over her head and she's just got the <laughs> bottle on a tray in her hand. Yeah, I hate this bottle. <laughs> like, I don't know why I find this bottle to be more offensive than even the Unicum bottle. You could mistake that for Yeg is why. Because it's a green bottle, very simple branding on it, other than the name. Yeah, this, this one is, this one's not good. What was your favorite? I mean, if there's I, any dissension from what we just... I, None of you got to try the true majesty of the Unicum's whack and uh, spray Slurpee, but that was what I was drinking last Wednesday. Voluntarily? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Admittedly, you'd gotten me pretty drunk at the Law Society dinner, but or the Bar <laughs> <Hey, laughs> You drank yourself. That's true. I wasn't funneling it down your throat, Mr. Naylor. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, I was thanking you. That was that was thank, that was that was my thanks 
to you for really a, a quite lovely party that uh, you learned a lot at. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. It's also really interesting when a speaker uh, can lose a crowd that's, uh, when the thesis of his speech is, you are literally heroes, but... <laughs> I will abstain from publicly commenting on the quality of the speech, but I had a great time. It was a really fun, it. Yeah, it was a really, really fun, fun time. Really fun one, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it was actually quite cool to hear about some of the, uh, the, the tales of the honoree of the the night mr brian, mr brian coleman yes brian coleman uh how he was like going out and doing still doing uh you know in his advanced uh age 79 years old yeah yep still uh, practicing law you see him all hmm. the time in court he's lovely uh, he's out there well, here's a toast to Brian Co No, I'm not going to no. get you to drink again, am I? <laughs> All right. Well, since no one is drinking, I think we have to say goodnight. Ian, thank you so much for coming on again. Thank you, Matthew and Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. I'm Matthew Naylor. This has been another episode of Spirits of Law, a production of the Sarah Lehman Law Group. Thank you very much for listening. Good night. <laughs>